Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 52 of the Uncovered podcast. I'm your host Bairam Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me of course is Jared Kimber who you can find everywhere. And uh, lots to discuss today. Jared will start with the World Cup late entrants. There've been quite a few. And I suppose the best one to start with would be Ravi Chandran Ashwin. He's replaced replaced the injured Akshar Patel in India's squad and even though he's not like for like in terms of the batting depth that Akshar probably provided even though Ashwin is no mug with the bat but you know he's innovating and has a new grip is bowling with his third finger has a new carom ball and he's clearly pushing for more wickets so what's your take on this replacement yeah, the whole carom ball thing's quite interesting because mm. if you watch that ball he doesn't flick it like a carom ball at all it mm-hmm. actually looks like he's trying to bowl a wobble ball and then that wobble ball swings and then seems away um anyway Uh, it's interesting they called it something different maybe he didn't want to call it a wobble ball because uh, mm. people would start to look for it or, or whatever um but you know just uh, ashwin if you're watching and uh, you want to correct <laughs> me i'm more than happy but that the 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 footage i saw i didn't think it was a wobble ball anyway um look we you and i been working on something where we thought they might pick him anyway right so mm-hmm. um we were there are there are strengths and weaknesses on both sides There is a point at which they had to make a decision with Ravi Jadeja I think which is do we trust him to play all the games I don't re- think there's any reason not to I know he's been struggling a little bit with a bat of recent times but his bowling form's come back if they trust Ravi Jadeja then I'm not sure how they fit Akshar Patel and Ravi Jadeja into the 150 mm-hmm. over side right that so I do think that's an issue so if you look at it from that perspective what have they given themselves now uh they've given them the option of having cool deep who obviously spins the ball back in is a proper strike threat. They've then got an option of an all-rounder and then if Kuldeep struggling in, you know, the the pressure or gets the yips or anything else, you have the most experienced bowler you have to come in who is now in the middle of experimenting and taking more wickets and gives you a little bit of batting. I just think that that is probably a better three-person lineup. I understand the Akshar thing. I'm not sure that they were wrong for not having Akshar in. Mm. Uh, I think we might have talked about this on Uncovered last week where Once Ashwin started striking, I know it was only one game, but once he started experimenting and trying to strike again, that's kind of all you want from him, right? I, True. The biggest problem with Ashwin at times is he he does the complete op- in test cricket he never stops tinkering, right? Hmm. And in one day T uh, Twenty cricket he, he tinkers quite a bit, not as much as he used to, but there were certainly periods where he tinkered a lot. But you watch him in in one day cricket, and perhaps he wasn't doing that as much, and because of that, teams were sitting back and just milking him. If he's experimenting and taking wickets, he's very uh, important. Look, he's not actually... I mean, just, everyone talks about him with a bat. I think people have forgotten it, uh, that they both have to field as well. Akshar is a fantastic <laughs> fielder. Um, and uh, to be fair to Ashwin, that's probably not his main strength as a human mm-hmm. being. Uh, so so I, I think with all that in mind, there are ways when you could say maybe he would even strike better than uh, uh, Akshar would. He can bat in the middle order and lower order in a reduced role. What he doesn't probably have is the flexibility in a one-day game to go up the order, which we've seen him do in T20 cricket. Uh, mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's a slight downgrade. In some ways, it's a slight upgrade. But I think they're making the the, the call based on talent, right? And so hmm. if you're making the call based on talent, even if we disagree with it, I, I don't think that's the end of the world. I'd be much more concerned if they were making it, you know, based on reputation or anything else. But I think they're like, look, he's just taking wickets. There's hmm. fit here. And it works a little bit, so let's give it a go. Uh, you know, you, I know that you've worked on something about this. Well, at the end, did you think that 
Aksha come in or do you think that Aksha should have stayed in? Well, in the scenario where Aksha was injured, I felt that Ashwin should be the guy who comes in. Hmm. But if Aksha okay. was, wasn't injured, I thought that he was still there to fulfill a certain role. But originally when he was selected, I wanted Jahal, if you remember, right? So sure. I wasn't of the opinion that you should have both Aksha and Jadeja in the same 11 because there's not much that separates them in terms of skill set. It's the same kind of angle as well. But, you know, you spoke about talent. Of course, he brings experience as well. And you also spoke about experimentation. I saw a picture of him bowling wrist spin today and he's done that before in the IPL. So maybe we can expect something along the lines from Ashwin in the World Cup. But I mean, you know, just the fact that they have these wealth of resources that even after losing a player, Ashwin is the one who's coming in. And I suppose we can expect a Mankad or two in this World Cup. <laughs> and look, if that isn't worth him playing, I don't know what it is. The truth <laughs> is, it's funny, I had a friend uh, who's part of the Ospinners Union, I suppose it's fair to say. Mm. And he was saying to me, I can't believe he's not in this squad, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, but if he does come in, isn't there a big chance he won't play anyway? Like, yeah, I'm not saying he chance. won't play any games because mm. I think there's a chance he'll play games. But even even Akshar, the more I thought about it, I was like, I'm not sure they fit Akshar into this side anymore. Mm. Um, if you have, if you... You could go in, and they've tried this in previous World Cup, although neither of them were in as good a form. But have, if you have Chahal and Kuldeep in prime wicket-taking form, right? Mm. Uh, I think at that point, you could say that you're attacking with your spinners. But I think India mm. want to attack with their seam bowlers as well. You know, they've got Bumrah. Yeah. You know, Siraj has been bowling great. shemi has got one of the best strike rates in, in ODI cricket mm. history. They actually have so many options there that they probably don't need a defensive spinner. Um, uh, sorry, I should say, it probably doesn't matter as much if they have a defensive spinner on that side, right? They can yeah. bring back the other seamers. Harder can bowl attacking spells in the middle as well. I think it just gives them a lot of flexibility. So it's more likely they play two spinners. Obviously, Jadeja is going to be one of those. I have called it. I, it, I, I know I did the, the rankings today. If you haven't seen it, it's on the main channel. Uh I, I did the rankings of the spinners today. I have Kuldeep as the number one spinner in this World Cup. Mm -hmm. I put him in tier one, but I would have him above everyone else. My only concern is, you know, hasn't played as much cricket as some of the other guys and everything else. But I think right at the is the spinner most likely to take wickets at this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how that goes. And uh, Ali SD in the comments has asked if we, you know, see India playing Ashwin, Jadeja and Kuldeep together on any surface. I, I don't see it happen. I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, on a raging turner, they might go that direction. But, I honestly don't see that. And we have Pratik Ja and Raj Rohit also saying hi from the comments. Hello to you back. And um, uh, yeah, yes, who was it? Who was it who sent the comment? The first one? Ali SD. So I I get yes, I, I know why you're saying they won't do it. And I could certainly agree with that, I think, in mm -hmm. many ways. What I would say is that it because Ashwin boosts their batting just that little bit. And they're probably going to play on one surface where if Hardik can get through five overs, right, consistently, you've got two other seamers, then you've got 25 overs, guaranteed seam, and then mm. you have then you can pick your three spinners. They could do that. Th this is what I've been saying about India for a long time. Indian fans have become incredibly... I miss the old days. 2003 World Cup, right? <laughs> I walked to the ground for the final as an Australian fan, and every Indian fan stopped to tell me that India was going to win. And I was like, have you been watching cricket? This Australian team's really good. I don't understand, right? Somehow, the Indian team, the Indian mindset has flipped. And now hmm. I'm hearing people go, oh, I don't know about Jadeja at seven. Where are the other great number sevens in world cricket? What the hell are you talking about? Well, you're saying it's not as good as Marco Janssen suddenly, right? Like, what are we talking about? And it's really, really flipped. I look at this squad 
with Akshar in it or with Ashwin in it, right? Even Shadul, who I'm not as big a fan of as everyone else mm. is. And I look at it and go, the flexibility here is incredible. What they can do from mm. any situation. So you're right. I, I actually think they could go as far if they wanted to is picking an extra batter Hmm. Uh, and having Hardik and Jadeja at, let's say, five and six um, in that lineup, specialist number seven batter, you know, uh, and then uh, and actually get 15 to 17 overs through, or even 20 overs if they want to do, through Hardik and, and Jadeja and, and change the lineup that way, right? There's so much flexibility that they could do with this lineup. They could bat to like number, what, let's say nine, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe further yeah. back if they want to chuck um the lord in there um so they can they can really bat a very deep amount and they could incredibly attack right they can pick yeah. all three spinners they can put bring shadul in um and and completely muck with it around there's so much flexibility in this squad and i don't see that many weaknesses in this squad mm-hmm. i actually think that if you uh i think england might still be a better odi side but england uh just don't have any death bowls right True. you know we don't know if england are going to take any wickets through the middle overs either right so hmm. you look at india and you're like well they could take wickets in phases and their batting should be fine in all three phases and they could do flexible lineups in any time so i i, I find it very very confusing at the moment uh that people hmm. are so down on them yeah i feel like and raj rohit in the comments has also pointed this out that the insecurity of the average indian fan stems from all of that knockout ptsd in the last decade, I think that's where that's coming from. And maybe it's not as big of an issue otherwise. But someone whose mindset is also flipped is Ashwin, clearly. Because if you look at his ODI numbers, they aren't particularly stellar. He's a bit defensive, right, throughout history. But now he's pushing for those wickets. So that's a very, very welcome sign. But anyway, let's move on. And of course, let's we, we cannot have this episode without talking about Manus, the world's best concussion sub. He's once again made his way into Australia's lineup in a major event. First, it was the Ashes. Now it's the World Cup. He's hit brilliant form ever since Cam Green copped that ball to his helmet. And yeah, I mean, it's just such a remarkable story that now all of a sudden, Manus, who we were all saying won't make it to the squad, now finds himself ahead of Ashton Agar, who is now, you know, it's it's a butterfly effect because now Mitchell, uh, sorry, not Mitchell, but Glenn Maxwell will be Australia's fifth bowling option and frontline spinner as per George Bailey. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find it, I find it interesting that I think the thought process was that they were going to go in with Maxwell as a frontline spinner before Agar. So I mm. thought what they would do is, because Agar can bat and is obviously a brilliant fielder mm. as well. He, Agar's like the Australian Akshar Patel, right? In some yeah. ways, he's batting slightly overrated, but you do know, I mean, I've seen him hit a six off the last ball of a T20 game to win a, ga- uh, to win a match. Mind you, that was against Aaron Finch, but that's a mm. long story. Um, you know, he can bat. And I've always thought he's quite overrated in many different ways, but... Mm. He's a good defensive spinner. He doesn't go for a lot of runs. He just doesn't take any wickets, which is part of his problem. Can bat, can field, all these different things. So I was thinking that they, this was the World Cup. They'd be just like, well, if we match him with Zampa, and we know mm-hmm. Zampa's going to go for a few more runs in the middle, but Zampa can spin it. And then we've got the option in any particular game of Mitch Marsh, Stoinis, Maxwell, mm-hmm. as a, you know, something's going, you know, Stoinis, we need you to bowl two overs and bounces, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, Shreyas I is in. We don't want to bring our quicks back. We want you to bounce him for a couple of overs, right? You know, uh, mm. Mitch Marsh, we want you, this is a good pitch to bowl back of a length. Maybe some Yorkers, if you can get some up there. Uh, and then in, in the spinner's case, uh, you know, uh, if, if the ball is ragging, you know, Ma- Maxwell, Maxwell has a really good record with the ball, but it's important to note that he's never really done that as a frontline bowler. So mm-hmm. it's slightly 
friendly his record but the point you'd is probably, yeah. you'd probably want him to be in that Moin Ali role though right with respect to the ball that we yeah. only use him if we need him but if Maxwell is told that okay he has to bowl a certain amount of overs every game couldn't that prove to be counterproductive yeah I mean they've taken that risk before right they took that risk in their T20 in UAE when they had Maxwell as their spinner and Stoinis bowled their overs I can't remember if Mitch bowled much in that they've also got Cameron Green if he's in the side and yeah. Travis Head there's a lot of mm. different <laughs> Junk bowling, right? <laughs> I mean, Maxwell is better than a junk bowler. And Mitch Marsh, mm. although he's not a great ODI bowler, is probably slightly better than a junk bowler. Maybe not in India. The rest of that is junk bowling, right? Mm. Dif- different levels of junk bowling. But, uh, and sometimes junk bowling in certain situations can be really, really handy. But that's kind of what it is. If you're making him your fifth bowler, I think you are then putting a lot of pressure on Stoinis and Marsh to back him up as well. Uh, but they, because they won that T20 World Cup, doing this. I think they think that is their best option. And I, as I said, I thought Agar was going to be in the 11. I thought that's mm-hmm. where they were angling for all this, you know, discussions with people inside the camp. I was wrong. He wasn't going to be in the 11. So it's not as big a deal with him not being there. But I mean, Maxwell's not an inclusion, but I don't think we really knew for sure he was going to be the fifth bowler until very, very recently. Um, and so I think that's a very, very big uh, change uh, from mm. Australia. And, you know, it, it's no different than what South Africa are doing with Marco Janssen at number seven or maybe Santon about uh, batting at number seven for New Zealand, right? All these things yeah. are very similar. You have, if you don't have, I don't know, even Shakib Al Hassan or Jason Holder, right? Or you don't have multiple um, all round options like, you know, uh, Bangladesh and England and India, then you actually you have to take a chance on one side of the ball or the other. And Australia are deciding that Glenn Maxwell can do the job well enough. But you're right. I, I think on the pitches that bat, that, that bat, most pitches bat, but the pitches that are batting friendly, I think that's where Maxwell will struggle. I don't think he'll struggle on mm. the ones where there, there's a little bit something. I think he's a very clever part-time bowler, but he's a mm. part-time bowler. And, you you know, as some, I, look, I've worked with, um, you know, uh, Maxwell and Stoinis when I was at the Melbourne Stars, right? There was no team meeting where I ever said we should go in with them as our fifth ball, right? Yeah. That didn't mean that I didn't think they should be used. And I thought they were really good times. And we ended up combining between the two of them to bolt, you know, two overs each to get through um, those sorts of things. But the problem with that is that Stoinis is a very good bouncer bowler. That particular skill that he has is not as important in India. And Mitch Marsh, maybe not as much a thought of as a one-day bowler. Cameron Green, if he's in the side, and I don't know if you fit him into the side anymore. Um, I don't know where you would fit him in the side because yeah. if you're opening with Marsh and Warner when, you know, head isn't available mm-hmm. and, you know, one down and two down would be what, Smith and Manus now? Or would you rest one of those and just have one number three? That's another conundrum, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's a very good point as well. So I don't know how the, the final side sort of works out. If you had, if you have Green and Maxwell as your fifth bowler, I think that's a lot more of a comfortable situation uh, to be in. Mm. Um, I don't think Green's going to be in that starting lineup, though, uh, the way he's been playing. Or, or, or not just the way he's been playing, but the way that the lineup is sort of unfurling itself. But, mm. uh, no, it's it's good fun. I, I think it's one of the, the good things about one-day cricket is whoever was the mad bastard who decided uh, that, it should, that we should have a max or minimum of five bowlers, it's such a... It's such a random number. Um, mm. It could have been six. It could have been four, right? There are other ways that we could have done it mathematically, as, especially as, you know, originally it was 60 overs, right? There were so True. many different things you could do. Uh, and I still think one day, if one day cricket does survive, 
that will be the thing that will disappear. It's great for T20 cricket, but I'm not sure if, uh, you know, one day cricket, you want to almost differentiate itself. But that ability to have that means if you do have an all-rounder, you're at a huge advantage. And if not, you have to take a lot of punts and it, that makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And your comment on one day cricket surviving, well, the recent statement by Mark Nicholas has definitely, you know, made me afraid. New MCC president has said that it's not bringing in the money, so we don't know what the future will hold. But anyway, one last person that I want to talk about in World Cup late entrance, and you might not even be expecting this, and you're not even a fan of this guy, but CS, our colleague, is, and he is Andile Feflequayo. And he's here ahead of Anrik Nokia. South Africa have this issue of their tail starting a bit early. That depends on how well you rate Marco Janssen as a number seven, of course. But do you think that they could perhaps utilize him somewhere or should they just stick to their guns with six batters, five frontline bowlers and go for the kill? Uh, I mean, it's not that I'm not a fan of him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love his name. I think it, it, it was, I remember I was commentating on that. I, on must have been the champion trophy and I had to learn his name and then I got taken off the games that he was playing in and I was so <laughs> disappointed because I had spent I, I would put him into every single commentary stint I would mention his name mm. just because I spent so long trying to perfect it um mm. uh, because it, it you know I don't know if you, it you know or and is fine but the Pethlequeo bit it just that's just mm. not how it even slightly reads it's fantastically yeah. interesting though um look he's I think there's a combination of a couple of things here they're maybe not as strong on their death bowling of, of recent times. And they think that he's okay at the death. I think he's a pretty ordinary death bowler, um, all things told, but he's not terrible. The thing about the batting is, I don't think we've ever, ever actually seen that much um, great batting from him. So, you know, he averages under 24 in first-class cricket. If he was, it, put it this way, if he could make, if he was either scoring at a strike rate of 110 or averaging 28 to 30 he would be in the side all the time right because he has enough utility but the truth is that he's not quite good enough with the bat and he's not quite good enough with the ball because of the knuckleball i think that gives him a little bit more skill but i just think the knuckleball is more of a t it's it's more of a t20 delivery and by that i mean you know benny howe so the king of knuckleballs right Mm-hmm. He's a fine list A bowler, but he's not one of the world's best list A bowlers. Whereas by numbers, he is one of the world's best T20 bowlers. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think there is. I think there are some concerns. I, I I like this though because at least they're saying to themselves, "What happens if we get halfway through this tournament and our number seven gamble isn't working?" Right? They they're buying themselves some insurance here, uh, which is. You know, if you go back through all my work, you know, the recent times talking about South Africa, that's been the big thing with me is if it doesn't work and you don't have a plan B, I don't know what you do. They've got a plan B now. Now, having said that, Pethlequay, not a particularly strong um, plan B, but he's got talent. I just don't know if he has it in the exact right ways that are going to help them win a one-day World Cup. Fair enough. At their prime, who would you have picked? Uh, Peak Ryan McLaren? Chris Morris or Fefliquel? I think you're leaning towards Ryan McLaren, aren't you? I'd have to, I mean, I have to look up Ryan McLaren's numbers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I think my, out of those guys, Ryan McLaren can bat number six um, hmm. in domestic limited overs cricket, whereas I don't think Chris Morris or Fefliquel could do that consistently. Hmm. I don't think Chris Morris is your ideal number eight in a one-day game. 
even at T20, you kind of just want him for the last 15, 20 balls, right? Um, I think his bowling is better. We'll, we'll give you, you know, so maybe you get a little bit of that. And then if you have, let's say you had Morris at eight and Marco Janssen at seven hmm. and Maharaj at um, nine, you've got an Australian sort of style lineup there, hmm. don't you? But you just like, okay, we don't have all rounders, but we have three guys you can hold the bat. And so maybe we hope one of them kicks off every now and again. Um, but yeah, I think I, I can't remember McLaren as a one day bowler. I know I watch a lot of him play for Kent, so I should remember it better. Um, I would have thought his bowling is maybe not quite strong enough. So I'd probably go with Morris in, in that kind of situation. I, I was a huge fan of Morris. I think a lot of people didn't understand Morris. Um, there was a lot of nonsense said about him. And that when you looked at, and when you looked at actually what he did, he was fantastic at it. He he still is one of the best death bowls he's ever played in the IPL. And it's that's not even a debate, right? He's right up there with, with you know, he's behind Malinga and Bumra, but he's on that Dwayne Bravo level. And he never got the credit for that. And then he has the ability to smash the ball at the end. So it's a very good question. I, I thought, I mean, people have forgotten about this. Dwayne Pretorius was going to leave, True. right? He was going to go off and do whatever he was going to do and, you know, and I know the whole cold pack thing fell apart, but he might have gone off and become a T20 crew. South Africa pulled him back, right? And said, no, no, you're a major part of our plans. Is he a major part of their plans? <laughs> I would argue he's, he's a not. major. He's a major part of Guyana's plans. They just won the CPL with him. So exactly. Performing look, over there. <laughs> and, and look, again, I, I mean, if you throw him in as the fourth guy, I'm not sure he's any better than any of the others we've said. The truth yeah. is they don't have that player at the moment. And, you know, Maybe their best option would be, you know, uh, picking roll off again. Um, but he doesn't bowl. <laughs> he doesn't bowl much for the Netherlands, so that may not work either. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, I think that's enough for World Cup late entrance. We'll be taking a short break. You're watching Uncovered with Beram and Jared, and yeah, we'll catch you shortly after this. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello and welcome back to episode 52 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Behram. You can find me at DefMango on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber. And we have some more people in the comments. I know Shoria was there, but we'll, we'll come back to an interesting question well, that he asked. Well, just to yeah. thank everyone for coming in, right? Because this is Absolutely. the first one we've done on the new podcast channel. And mm -hmm. there's heaps of people in the room at the moment. The chat's going off. So huge thanks to everyone because, you know, we're moving it away from the bigger channel to this. We're going to grow this. We've got over a thousand subscribers over here now. You can do super chats here, I think. I think I'm right in saying that, Bayram. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so people can, can have a look at that. But huge uh, thanks to everyone for coming across uh, to the new channel. 
Yeah, no, we're really, really glad to have you all over here. And of course, you know, you can always send a super chat, help us out as well, and we'll take that question for sure. Pratik is asking if Jared and this guy does the hosting. Has Jared hired him? Yes, he has. Jared has hired me. Anyway, no, moving I, ha- on I haven't to- hired him. He's uh, He just volunteered. I don't think I've paid him and I'm not going to. Why would I do that? <laughs> yeah, of course. This guy. Um, Tell oh, me what you think allow- this guy. Yeah, this guy, I mean, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. But I don't know, Pratik, if you have some constructive criticism, I'm, I'm all ears. Uh, Eknath says that this channel does not allow Super Chats. So that's something to look oh. into later. Yeah, we'll fix that. We just got um, to 1,000 subscribers. So I think we had to go through all the stuff. Hopefully, by the middle of the World Cup, we'll have all that um, sorted out. But uh, we, yeah, there's a bunch of nonsense that you have to do in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, this guy will take over again and uh, we'll talk about the Tamim fiasco, one of my favorite stories, I suppose, of recent times. And and let me rewind the talk. I was going to say, go back, go back. Yeah, Let's yeah, play yeah. the greatest hits. Yes, absolutely. So Tamim Iqbal was Bangladesh's ODI captain. He had led them to automatic qualification for mm. the World Cup, which was quite big. And then he got into an altercation with the BCB president because he had, an well, he wasn't 100% fit, had some back injury or issues over there. And then, you know, after that altercation, Tamim Iqbal called a press conference and retired with immediate effect. And then within 48 hours, after having a meeting with Mashrafi Murtaza and the Bangladeshi Prime Minister, he took his retirement back, got a vacation, got some time off that he's going to come back in the New Zealand ODIs. And he came back in that series, you know, played a couple of games. This back problems probably came back in. And then new captain, Shakib Al-Hassan, he, you know, made his descent very, very clear. He said that he does not want an unfit player part of the team. And he also called Tamim selfish, childish and not a team player. And that, you know, uh, Tamim Iqbal basically could not just selectively play games. And had it been the Kane injury sort of situation, uh, Kane Williamson injury sort of situation where after certain games he would be fit for the extent of the tournament, Shakib apparently would not have had any problems. But this selective thing was not sitting well with Shakib, And there was clearly more to the story. And then Tamim lost his World Cup uh, spot. So... Yeah, it's been quite the soap opera, hasn't it, Jared? Yeah, oh, you've got them. Uh, Mashrafi got involved as well, didn't he, on yeah. Twitter or and Instagram? Yeah, or Mashrafi suggest, suggested that Shakib should have texted Tamim. I mean, there's lots going on over here. It, uh, look, I, Tamim doesn't want to play. I mean, <laughs> well, how much clearer does he need to be, right, that he doesn't want to play? I mean, Tamim came on social media or something and said that he would have been fully fit to play the World Cup. So he, there's more to this, right? The soap yeah, opera is continuing. But I mean, he already tried to pull out, right? Like he mm. didn't, do you know what I mean? He he tried to move on. And I think he's doing, and, and I'm not having a go at him when I say he doesn't want to play. What I mean is, it's no longer the most important thing in the world that he plays in these games. And mm. he's got other priorities and he's upset with the way that cricket's been run. I mean, him and Shakib have had issues for, you know, very long time. This none of this is new, right? Um, <laughs> and and so I do think from that perspective, you know, they've got themselves to a position where um, Tamim was just like, I, I don't need to do any of this anymore. You know, I've got, I I, I want to wash my hands of it. They didn't pull him back into it, and then this happens. And whether he whether he was fully fit and would have played every game or whether. Tamim Iqbal, right? You probably would have gone with him at what? Let's say he said to you he could play six out of ten games. It's like mm-hmm. the Andre Russell thing that West Indies went into the last World Cup with, right? And what Kane Williamson, uh, again, mm-hmm. there are probably ga- games that Kane Williamson will have to be rested from, right? I don't think Kane yeah. Williamson should be playing, so I'm already on that side. So 
you have to do that. But the truth is that this is also murky and that presidents or prime ministers or whatever. Have prime been ministers. Prime BCB minister. president and the yeah. Bangladeshi prime minister. And Mashrafi Murtaza seems to be a really influential figure in all of this. <laughs> he, he may, I don't know, he may be a governor somewhere. I'm not aware <laughs> of all their different roles. The point is that like it got out of control well before this. Mm. And, and look, Mashrafi's got a point about Shakib uh, should have been contacting Tamman directly. Mm. There's no reason for those sorts of things to play. You know, when you've got senior players like this, I actually remember this. Derek Pringle uh, was saying to me, who drops? Oh, uh, Jimmy Anderson. Hmm. Right? So if England got to the point where they were going to drop Jimmy Anderson, who is the person who makes that call? And England have those sorts of things set up because you can't have a situation where, like, you've got a new chairman of selectors and they call him up, right? Because this man's Hmm. had... 20 year career right he's going to want to hear it from someone he knows a friend you know whatever that may be and these sorts of things need to be done correctly and everything else clearly nothing here has been done correctly at this Mm. stage i'm surprised that bangladesh cricket gets to the ground on time if we're being honest (laughs) right like the whole thing seems like a complete joke uh Mm. the way that it's been run and I think the big shame of this is that we know that bangladesh has improved massively over recent times I think perhaps, you know, the idea that they could win this World Cup or get to the semifinals is a bit overblown by some people. And maybe if it was being played in a year's time, I'd feel slightly more comfortable with that because everyone's improving so quickly over there. But this is not how they deserve for this to happen. They have perhaps their best all-round team coming into a World Cup. And it's currently, you know, forget the the Tigers, forget the baby Tigers. You know, currently, <laughs> currently it's like, it's a clown show, right? Yeah. And there's no reason for Bangladesh cricket to be this much of a clown show. And there are a lot of people who, need, even Mashrafi, who I really, really admire, mm-hmm. couldn't he have said his message to Shakib personally? Yeah, that's true. Right? Why did, do you know what I mean? Everything, and, and it, I know, as I said, there's so many issues behind the ball. And what happened, really, if we're being honest, is a long time ago, that when they got rid of all their older players and they made Shakib, Tamim, Mashrafi, and, and Ashrafal, everyone's forgotten about him, but when they made them the stars, they inflated all their egos and none of them outside of Shakib really performed to the level that deserved any of that sort of attention. They gave this team to a bunch of kids and what you have now is a bunch of kiddos <laughs> running their cricket, right? And they yeah. haven't grown up the way that they should have because they didn't have senior players going, oi, no, we don't do that here. Because they, cu- they culled all their senior players. This is why senior players are so important. And this mm. is the sort of thing that has happened here is why even when you have a younger squad coming through, you want a couple of old pros there just to be like, eh, no, and here's why no. And even if you even then what you want is the argument between the old and the young constantly happening so that you can still even be more progressive. Okay, this is the way we're going to do it now, but I'm going to justify this to you, right? And I just think with Bangladesh that too many of those younger players got too much power and too much fame early on, and there was no adult in the room. And they've had, what, 83 coaches? Like, who's been been the strongest voice in Bangladesh cricket? You would have to say Mashrafi was, right, for Mm -hmm. a long period of time. And he wasn't actually captain that much. And he had no knees. He literally had no (laughs) knees. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a very, very valid point that you bring up that you know 
every squad needs those senior pros and it's the senior pros who are having all these issues in this one and that's mm. just not a good look and does not augur well for bangladesh cricket forget the world cup like even going into the future these aren't really promising signs and another thing that shakib mentioned was that you know he had some issues with tamim not vacating his role as captain earlier he had issues with tamim taking it or stretching it all the way till the end and then you know vacating his post just before the world cup and he said that even a player had spoken to tamim that when are you going to leave or something and had he left 18 months earlier bangladesh would be better prepared but yeah i mean shakib isn't an easy customer either is no. he i mean he's had a few issues of no, none of them are. And, I, i don't think any yeah. of those i mean ashraful you know we know what happened to him as well you know the match mm-hmm. fixing and everything none of them yeah. are easy customers and i remember talking to someone who was coaching bangladesh i want to say early around 2010 2012 and he was telling me this then he said they have created this this environment it is not particularly healthy and it's all about telling these guys they're going to be the next Sachin Tendulkar's and you know Imran Khan's and all this and he said I'm not sure they're talented enough to do that but even so Imran Khan had seniors around him right Sachin Tendulkar yeah. had seniors around him and he said these guys are growing up and it's like a junior cricket team mm-hmm. right and that that has now come into this thing where they they haven't developed the way that they should have what oh he didn't leave the captaincy what are we talking about it's just, it's nonsense <laughs> right and it's yeah. not good enough and B- bangladesh for them to actually break through to that next level one of two things have to happen they have to actually become more professional with their cricket or mm-hmm. they need to suddenly unearth an incredible crop of players like you know Pakistan did in the 80s or you know India did in the 90s or Sri Lanka did in the 90s right the problem is that they should be able to do both of those things and at the moment you, unless they find you know Shakib the fast bowling version of Shakib <laughs> you think they're going to get mired in the middle of the table and there's no reason for them to do that this is a huge sport in that country they yeah. have you know the the standard of living is growing in bangladesh all the time you know it's the the bpl was at one stage one of the better leagues in t20 cricket there's no reason for them to be in this sort of crappy mire of their own making can you have yeah, a crappy no, mire absolutely. i think you can have a crappy mire i'm not you sure you could probably have a crappy mire yeah and there was more to the story i'm sorry but there was this point where he shakib quoted that ms dhoni once said that if you're an unfit player in the squad you're cheating the team and then he went on to say that rohit sharma has scored 10000 runs batting at positions 1 to 7 and tamim is selfish so was there maybe a school of thought over here where he wanted tamim to bat lower because that's what i could understand from that why are you quoting the whole rohit sharma thing otherwise i've actually said this before i think for me tamim became an opener in test cricket hmm. i always thought he was maybe better suited to batting 4 or 5 in and that sort of position but having said that i think that's where bangladesh kind of had a plethora of options so did it would it have helped them or is now maybe top order is where they have their options right um yeah i mean i could see that but the, the whole selfish thing is like <laughs> i mean steve war never went up the order mm. right there are plenty of very good cricketers who refused to move because they liked the positions that they played in um yep or asked for the easier position i mean in up until 2004 the best batter batted at number 3 automatically right mm-hmm. and then suddenly out of nowhere what do we see everyone's moving to four why well it's easier it's like that that's how these things work so yeah i get i get what um shakib is saying and maybe he did want that um would have been a, i would have loved you know we talk about that that i would have loved to have been in that meeting where he tried to get him to do it but i do think again it's something that i think quite a few years ago maybe when hathra singer was around because he was 
quite a full-on character. Um, mm-hmm. That's when you wanted that to start happening. I don't think if they suddenly moved Tamim in, the, you know, just before a World Cup, I'm not sure that would have worked. But I, maybe what Shakib is also saying is, if I'd been running this team for a little while, I would have been yeah. able to get him to bat in the middle order, or at least said that's you're either playing in the middle order or you're not playing. Again, it's just more dirty laundry, though, isn't it? It's lots of dirty laundry. And I mean, someone over here, I think it was Vikas Maika, he mentioned that in the Bangladesh Celebrity League, there was a big fight. And it oh got my God, have you seen where, this? Yeah, I saw the video and it was just hilarious. Like everyone was just having a go at each other. Men, women, it was just this complete cesspool of, I don't even know what that was. Was there any cricket being played or was it just that? It was WWE for Bangladesh Celebrity Cricket. <laughs> if you haven't seen this footage, it is worth going over and Googling it. It is absolutely bizarre. I don't, I I mean, I've seen club games do that, but even in a club game, you're kind of playing towards something. And mm. a celebrity game is just absolutely <laughs> the last place you would expect someone to get. All I'm saying is all of Bangladesh cricket is currently very fraught. Fraught is the word I'm using. Yeah. And, and I would love to check out the Bangladesh celebrity scene as well. Those movies must be very action-packed for sure. And uh, yeah, I think that should be enough on the whole Tamim fiasco. Let's, let's move towards the warm-ups, right? Now, Coming from a Pakistan perspective, Pakistan lost to New Zealand, whatever. And I saw everyone bashing the team left, right and center on Twitter. And I was like, why do we, and and when I say we, I I speak of the cricket community and particularly in the subcontinent, always make such a big deal out of warm-ups before tournaments. I mean, all the teams are playing 15 players. Everyone's bowling. Everyone's batting. They're in that mindset to just get acclimatized with the conditions. And they don't particularly care about these games, right? So... Is there even anything worth reading into when it comes to warm-ups before ICC events? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for individual form, it could be quite handy. But hmm. what what if you were in form over the last 10 games and the warm-ups the last time you are in form and then you, you know, a technical issue comes in or you lose your confidence or you face yeah. a bowl I and mean- misses with your brain? In 2007, Pakistan defeated that South African team, the really good one in a warm-up, lost to Ireland in the group stages, knock, got knocked out. So, I mean, I don't know what to make of these things. I, I never pay any heed to warm-ups. No, I, I, I'm on, I can't remember if I mentioned this recently. We, we played two warm-ups with Scotland before the World Cup qualifiers in 2018 when I was with the team. Mm. And we lost to UAE. Uh, in part, we lost the UAE because we turned up to the game and half of their players we'd never seen before because that was when their squad all disappeared. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we didn't actually know who we were playing against. It was like, who's this guy? Um, is, is this-, this when the Scottish players got dehydrated? Is this that story? No, that was that was later on. But mm. So we lost the game against UAE. I think Mustafa might have made some runs uh, in that game. I can't remember anyway. Um, and then I reckon we lost off the last ball against Ireland. In in the uh, the next warm up, and we lost our first game against Singapore, right? And there was I think there was a feeling that we had probably played the warm up games a little bit too much, like warm up games, right? Mm. But I don't remember anyone in the camp go, "We lost the game against Singapore because we um, we didn't take that warm ups seriously, or that we lost the warm up." <laughs> and if you think about it. We like I said, the island game was a cracky game. It was, <laughs> but it, I think both teams made over two hundred. It came down to the last ball, if I remember correctly. It was such an exciting game. Ireland absolutely blitzed, right? And Scotland had a really slow start to the tournament. The warm ups sort of had nothing to do with that. And I think it, you sh- individual forms are a little bit different. Is this person in their technique at the moment? Are they feeling the conditions? Are that you know all those sorts of things are very very valid things that you know to ask 
but it's not a real tournament. It's not how your team's going to line up. It's not. It's impossible for a player, unless they're playing for their spot in the side, it's impossible for a player to take this as seriously as they are going to be the first game of the World Cup. It is not yeah. how humans work. Absolutely. I mean, especially with so much cricket coming up, you'd even be a bit conservative with respect to, you know, over bowling your bowlers and stuff like that. And you see a lot of batters, they just get, you know, they retire after getting to 50 because they don't want to overwork themselves either. Everyone's just, everyone's trying to get a feel of, uh, or feel of the conditions and stuff like that. So I think nothing really much to talk about. I'm not even going to talk about the other warm-ups, but I am going to talk about some other things. And I think Shoria Patak brought this up as well, that we've seen some rain. And it seems mm-hmm. like those monsoon rains are, rains are coming in late. And yeah, all of a sudden, you know, weather is impacting the World Cup. We've seen this happen before with the Asia Cup. And I don't know. I'm not from India. I don't know if this is a rainy sort of period in India. But yeah, I mean, it's been very evident that we might have a few washed out games, at least in the first leg of the tournament. Do you know what? I, I, I looked this up the other day. I think the 2019 tournament had the most washed out games. And if you hmm. go back traditionally, we had two days for almost all games. So there's a lot of games at the old World Cup. You know, I've been doing this huge deep dive for Double Century. Um, uh, and it's, it shocked me how long they kept the two-day two, two day games. So 20, 2000 and, sorry, 1999, they still had backup days for games. I'm not sure if they had them for all, but they certainly had them for a lot. Um, 2003, I don't think they did. I think by 2003, Duckworth Lewis had taken over. Um, mm. And so... We're getting more washouts now. And so we do actually have to be, if you're not going to have reserve days, you do have to be more careful. Look, it will play its part. I, I, I'd be shocked if it's a huge deciding thing. But you you come from a country that have won one 50-over World Cup and they did it because mm-hmm. of rain in Adelaide, right? So yeah. And Adelaide's not a particularly rainy area. Like, was it <laughs> February? Was that played? Or March? Like, I March, thought, Feb, March. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have thought that's a rainy period for Adelaide. Right? Mm. I mean, Adelaide's just not a rainy place. So Pakistan got what seventy three, seventy seven all out, something along those lines. It wasn't that many. game. It was less than a hundred. Yeah. You're right. It was less <laughs> than a hundred, and England, England were actually struggling in the chase, and then mm. they lost some of the overs. It was going to be a tricky chase, but they probably would have got it just because they were chasing almost no runs. Um, mm. You know, we have seen that before. Um, there was also, you know, if Australia, if, if South Africa had beaten Australia in the Super Sixes in two thousand nineteen ninety nine. Zimbabwe would have gone through because of a washout they had with New Zealand. So, you know, mm. we've had major moments in World Cups either almost affected by rain or affected by rain. I, I think there were some, you know, uh, there were some weird rain games. Obviously, um, South Africa's whole tournament in 1992, yeah. although, you know, spoiler alert, they cost themselves a lot of that problem by intentionally mm. not bowling their overs. So they were being dodgy as hell. And also they decided to uh, bowl first when they knew that the rain might actually cause them problems. But that's a separate thing. The point is that rain has played a big part before. Uh, it would be a shame if it happens again. But, you know, we play an outdoor sport and sometimes it rains. And, you know, it looks like now the ICC almost dedicated to just playing as many events as possible in October um, and owning that month of October, some places. Well, I mean, we just had we had the World Cup in Australia, Hobart in October. Not exactly where you want to play cricket, right? Geelong again, even Melbourne in general. Not exactly where you want to play cricket. The weather is going to play a part. 
Yeah. And uh, even in the last World Cup in England, like you mentioned, there were so many washouts. And it did. You know, even if you look at Pakistan, we, we said that in 92 it would help them. Well, the, the game versus Sri Lanka got washed out in 2019, yeah. which they could have won and made the semi-finals. But I mean, Indian fans will tell you that they played New Zealand on that second day of the semi-final and rain played a part exactly. over there as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so there are lots of those stories. And I'm going to bet my money that we might have a few of those stories again. Because someone like Raj Rohit in the comments has said that June to October is monsoon season in India. So we better watch out for that. One more observation, and we've been talking about this for a while from the warm-ups. We've kind of had it confirmed. Flatter decks. Flatter ICC tournament decks. And yeah, I mean, we're seeing some absolute belters. And do you think that the average scores in this World Cup would be in that 300 to 350 bracket? Or will the tournament pressure kick in? Because that's another thing, right? Yeah. I think we're all waiting for that one really big scoring World Cup. And... Hmm. It didn't quite happen in 2015 the way that perhaps we thought it would. 2019, the wickets were actually far more friendly towards bowlers than we originally assumed they would be. Certainly compared to how England would be playing their one-day game. This is the next tournament, right, where you kind of expect that to happen. And I can see why uh, that would be the case. Um, Mm. But tournament play is different. And I think that you don't have the same kind of freedom in tournament play. The one thing I would say that is in the favor of us having a high scoring World Cup is it is around Robin pretty much for your first six or seven mm. games, right? And after that, if you're not doing too well, it becomes a bit of a knockout. But I do yeah. think there's a little bit more freedom there than maybe we've seen, you know, in in some other uh, World Cup formats, you know, um, mm. fr- from that perspective. So so maybe, maybe that that plays a part. Yeah. Lots of people in the comments are mentioning how South Africa have been undone by Reina Fe a few times. Of course, we all remember 2003 and then 92, of that, course, we've talked about. But they weren't, <laughs> let's just, there is a bit of revisionist history here. They weren't mm. undone by Reina in 1992, right? Mm. They caused themselves their own problems. Um, they got, they were massively behind the rate. At, at best, they would have needed 22 of 13 balls with, what was it, three wickets in hand, right? They were massively behind in that game, right? Mm. We can't even put a Duckworth-Lewis calculation on that game, Bayram, because they didn't mm. bowl their 50 overs because they were essentially fudging the game to begin with, mm. right? True. That So many things they did. 2003, they were given a piece of paper. Mark Boucher could have easily made a single off that last ball. Muley was bowling with a wet sponge at that point. It would have been very easy to turn his hands. They made a mistake. South Africa have not been done over by the uh, rain rules. They've done themselves over. And that's a really important thing to remember. Like there are things that have gone against them. And that 92 game, I think 92 broke people's hearts because it was the comeback kids and everything else. But when you start to scratch at the surface, it's very hard for you to go, oh, they, they brought this on themselves. Yeah. Another thing that I can't forget from that 2003 World Cup game is Kumar Sangakara sledging. If you haven't checked that out, go to YouTube, check it out. And after the, the show, weight of, after the yeah, show, yeah, yeah, after the show, of course. But what was the line? Uh, the weight of all these expectations, something like something mm. like that. 50 million people was, or something like that. Yeah. Wasn't that line? <laughs> it was hilarious. And uh, someone has also said that Bairam has finally found his old lost comb. Well, this is my comb. You can take a good look at it. Okay, this is this is the only comb I have. Anyway, we'll take another break and we'll be back. I wonder what you meant then. And I just realized you were saying you comb your hair with your hand, which is yeah, fine. Of Perfectly I, accessible. Yeah. I don't own a comb either. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I feel weird using a comb because it gets How, too flat then. I like we, my hair poofy. But if we got a sponsor for combs, we would both wear mm. these combs. So if you're, a, if you're a comb manufacturer out there and you want to get involved, you can. Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast. This is Bairam Kazi. You can find me at DefMango on Twitter and with me is Jared Kimber. Some more comments, of course, on South Africa. They apparently lost on DLS today as well. So uh, the irony really is not lost. 
And uh, yeah, we're going to go towards Haley Matthews now. And I see Hypocost in the comments. Shout out to Hypocost. I actually looked up on a lot of tweets that he had posted just to educate myself further. And Jared, it's quite a, quite an amazing story, right? She smashed an unbeaten 99 in the previous uh, T20, the first T20i versus the Southern Stars in a losing cause, but then came back in the second T20i. Took three wickets before and then scored a 64-ball 132, which might just be the most complete performance by a female cricketer that we've seen in T20 cricket, or do you have another one in mind? I mean, I can't think of it. Hypercost will come up with seven options, but look, (laughs) it it was ridiculous. I remember when, I reckon it was a couple of years, so 2016, when she made that innings against Australia that kind of changed her life and, you know, set up Mm. her career. I remember a couple of years later talking to a couple of women's coaches and they said that that might, that innings might've been the worst thing that happened to her because Mm. she's not a top, she was not a top order batter and she didn't have all the skills that were required to be a top order batter at that time. And after that, how could you not look at her as, as, you know, as a a top um, batting talent? And so, it's taken its time to fully come through and her, for her to develop into this. She's a fantastic player and her, her overall record maybe doesn't always show um, how mm-hmm. talented she is, but I, I think she's a fantastic player. But to do this against Australia, yeah. it, you know, in Australia is just a remarkable effort. The, the, um, it might've been hopping. Yeah, just Hope- for the record. Yeah, yeah. This is some, something else that I learned from Hypocost Suites that, West Indies have now beaten Australia in Australia in any format for the very first time and have just become the fourth country to do this in women's cricket, right? Which is phenomenal. And I mean, the Southern Stars, we all know how powerful they are, how belligerent and dominant they've been. They're the T20 World Cup champions, right? And to defeat them, chasing 200 plus in a T20 game, I mean, I'm lost for words. It's crazy. And and the interesting thing for me is how many runs Hayley Matthews scored over cover or through cover or around cover. Shout out to Cheyenne. Yeah, he sent it. Yeah. Was it 66 66. runs? I mean... Yeah, 60 runs, 66 runs in the cover region. Absolutely. It reminds me of Harman Preet when she made her runs against Mm. Australia and she hit everything over mid-wicket. It's, you know, the the talent that is needed to be able to pull the same shot off over and over again. And I do think that women are actually better at cover driving, partly because quite often when they're younger, they are much more technically correct. But even so, to be able to do this at that level so consistently, I think is remarkable. But look... It's a, it's a weird time to do something really, really good in cricket, especially in women's mm. cricket, because the Men's World Cup's about to start. But it's almost, it felt like because there were all these warm-up games that people were sort of half interested in, it kind of exploded yeah. to a certain um, point. But for West Indies women's cricket, we don't know where their stars are going to be. Hayley Matthews mm. is obviously um, still there. You know, I've watched a little bit of women's CPL. There's some good players mm. coming through. I'm not sure there's any great players um, uh, coming through maybe in the next generation, but maybe not in that 23 to 25 year old uh, point. Uh, they need everything they could get beating Australia. But the other question here is, does this just mean that Australia is no longer like have teams started to catch up with them or work them out? Um, I mean, in the women's ashes, we saw that, right? England gave them a very, very tough time. And if you take that test match out, you'd say England were the better team. Well, you've got that. You've then got the fact that England struggled against Sri Lanka hmm. women, and they've got the West Indians going over to Australia. I'm not saying that Australia is not no longer the best team in the world, but it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, I would have thought. Yeah, and it's so interesting to see that, you know, we spoke about Sri Lanka, how Jamari Atapattu, she rose to the occasion, and even though it was like 
not a full strength english side but they defeated england in the t20i series in england pakistan whitewashed south africa 3-0 at mm. home and now we're seeing west indies defeat australia the mighty southern stars in their own backyard this is all just amazing for women's cricket because we've seen that it's been a bit skewed with respect to competition over the course of its short history but oh well not short history but relative short history short, with a lot of modern in history yeah yeah short modern history but now we're seeing that that gulf is being you know lessened and i think that's the best news possible no no i mean i i think i'm different than most people in that i don't think that one team dominating is as bad news as everyone else thinks it is you know but at the same time for the olympics and for those sorts of things uh, it is important that we have uh, i remember when when cricket went to the olympics the first time they essentially said the ioc you only have four women's teams who can play we can't mm-hmm. let you in if this is all you have we're up to 8 or 9 right yeah and we don't need these things we no one's expecting the West I mean, Indies you, to beat Australia count 50. Thailand and Papua New Guinea and those sort of teams, which on their day can do pretty well. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. I, I think a lot I of countries, had... they're investing in their women's team more. You told me about Brazil, right? Because they see that their women's team has a better chance of winning than their men's team. And I think there's a market out there. No, definitely. And, and so I think that you get to eight or nine teams that have a realistic chance. If the, if the ninth team has a realistic chance of beating the third ranked team, right? So let's say 40% chance. You are you're moving towards a really really strong ecosystem, and I do think that women's. The thing is that, you know, I was talking to some people in USA cricket recently, and I was like, "Why are you even worried about the men? <laughs> you know, we know that soccer slash football, whatever, um, over there, is really grew as much through women as it did through men. Mm-hmm. You can they can make Absolutely. a huge difference, right? I know that Chinese officials have been told the same sorts of things, right? Um, I've said before, like, you know, if I was running Pakistan or Bangladesh, I'd be putting so much money into women's cricket just for the exact same reason. Um, so, so yeah, I do think that there is a chance of, you know, to be able to do all that sort of stuff. So look, it will be just the, you know, the last couple of weeks, months, whatever they've been, I think are really, really promising. I don't think it means Australia is no longer the best team in the world. And I don't know if that matters whether they're the dominant team or not, but you do need more teams who have an ability to occasionally rise up. And it looks like that's where women's cricket is right at the moment. Yeah, you mentioned how it's not the worst thing when there's one team that's dominating a sport. Says the guy who went to the 2003 World Cup final, Jared. <laughs> of course, you won't mind that, right? <laughs> but one final thought. On I don't know. I, honestly, if it was up to me, Victoria would win every game and they would play as as the independent nation that they should be. Um, hmm. And I'd be more, I think that'd be great. And Mick Lewis would have been your, you know, stellar, you know, I don't know, legend for Victoria, the yeah. guy who won you the World Cup. Exactly. Yeah. One final thought on this discourse with respect to women's cricket. I think it's a very, very valid question to ask. You know, we've seen a plethora of franchise leagues emerge within the women's circuit. And now we're seeing all of this competition getting better between different sides and, well, lesser endowed boards and better boards and and the likes. So do you think that it has a big role to play, the franchise cricket model that's kind of taking over women's cricket? Because we've spoken about this before. They're paying them more and we might see a lot of, you know, uh, women opt out of international figure. We've already seen a lot of them. So that's another factor to, I, I guess, discuss. I actually wonder if women's international cricket will die before men's. And mm. I don't mean die completely because I do think both of them will go on. There will be World Cups at the very least and probably Olympics. And 
you know, in the women's case, maybe it will continue with Commonwealth Games. But I do wonder if that's what we see, that the, the majority of the bilateral women's cricket no longer exists. <laughs> that would mean it would largely be a T20 sport, I think, women's cricket, which is, uh, is you know, would be frustrating for, I think, some of us as cricket fans. But mm-hmm. as long as that allows for so many women to play. But yes, you know, through the Fair Play Tournament, through any of these new leagues, the ability to have women paid to be professional cricketers. The boards, the you know, I just did a, a podcast with Raph Nicholson about, you know, fair play between men and women. We're a long way off that, right? From It's funny when they go, we're, we're giving you equal pay. And by equal pay, we mean yeah. match match fees, mm-hmm. not actual contracts where you make the majority of your money. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, who would be the most endorsed female cricketer? Elise Perry, probably, who'd get yeah. the most advertisements and stuff. I, I, I'm curious to know how much she makes. In, yeah, in the old days, she was very good. I don't know if she's ever even kind of like that anymore. But yes, she mm. was very popular. Um, mm. You know, sort of peak Elise Perry. She was the player that everyone in Australia knew, right? Like, even if yeah. you didn't know anything about women's cricket. So I certainly think that, you know, these new leagues out there actually allows for more women to become professional, which will ultimately help the overall growth of the game. But because that's coming along so early in the women's development, mm. I do actually think that, you know, the bilateral side of women's cricket might completely die up but maybe you get a women's champions trophy uh women's uh, t20 world cup uh or 50 over world cup probably will disappear so you'll have two t20s maybe a champions trophy and then a um a senior edition and then you'll have the olympics and the commonwealth games gives you four events uh one every year of women's cricket and then you have the women's ipl and whatever other leagues do well Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd be super keen to see how that unfolds. And yeah, I think that'll be all for today's episode of The Uncovered. Of course, if any of those leagues, people who organize those leagues or or pay for them are watching, sign Haley Matthews. She might come in handy, definitely. And uh, yeah, once again, if any Comb sponsors are out there, you know, we'll use them on the show if you just sponsor us. But anyway, thanks to everyone who turned up in the comments. Sorry, we've started. I've done that to you twice today. (laughs) Yeah, now twice. But just wanted to thank everybody. And you know, this is a new channel. We have just over a thousand subs. So thank you for all your support. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. This is where you would be able to catch The Uncovered. And we'll be back again next week as well with episode 53. But And, and the World Cup will have begun. So that'll be a good one. Don't miss out on that. And yeah, thanks once again. And we'll catch you next time. For, for now, that's all. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices, so all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today.